Hey everyone, um, I'm Cam, I'm one of the leaders here, if I don't know you, thanks so much for being here. Um, I love that you're here, I love church, and uh, I'm thrilled about today because um, today is really about church, uh, so if this is your, your first week here and you're kind of unsure about what we do as a church gathering, um, come say hey after, I, I love that you're here and get to experience this. Um, I'm just going to pray for us now before we kick off, uh, that God would be speaking to us as we look into his word. We pray with me? Father, we ask you uh, now that you would be speaking clearly to us about your desire for us as a church going forward to be those who are mature and united. Lord, help us to see clearly uh, from your word in, in Corinthians that um, we are your children and we belong to you. Lord, we don't know where we, we've been this week. We don't know what's going on in everyone's lives here. But we know that you are God and you are sovereign over all. So Lord, speak to us now. Help us to hear the things, the truths of your gospel clearly. That we might fall deeper in love with you. Amen. Well, if you, uh, if you know me, you know that um, I, I used to do kind of acting in, in my past, in my acting days. And uh, one of the things about actors is that they, they love talking about themselves and about what they've done. I'm not that kind of guy. Um, but here's a story of this time. I was on a movie set with Baz Luhrmann. Uh, I've been in two Baz Luhrmann films as an extra. And uh, me and Baz, we're tight. You know, we know each other well. Um, and in my, in my first experience of, of Baz, it was on the set of, of Australia. And, uh, and what he does is uh, he has this quirk. He actually has one of those like megaphones and he runs around kind of the set, like making commands and whatnot. And, uh, and what he does for the extras uh, to make them kind of feel included and united is that he'll, he'll tell them, he'll like do this huge spiel of saying, no one here on my set is an extra. You are all actors. Each one of you has a story. What is that story? What brought you here? Who are you? And that's his kind of spiel, and he just goes to town on it. And, um, and the idea is he's trying to kind of get everyone on the same page and united. Um, the shoot that I was involved in on Australia had Nicole Kidman there. Uh, yeah, she looked at me. We, we connected, and... Uh, <laughs> And I was good, uh, but the, the shoot started from, from 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and it was an overnight shoot, and we didn't wrap till 8 a.m. Uh, all the shift workers are like, please, come on. But that's what it was like. It was long, it was cold, um, and as an extra, you kind of get to know all the other extras around. Um, and, and what I saw was really interesting. It's weird. Uh, the extras kind of like quickly form like an inner circle, like the cool group of the extras. Um, you know, we're there for the, about uh, 16 hours in total. And in the first hour, this kind of like formed. And it's all odd. Like they, they just started to kind of get this sense of belonging with each other um, to kind of try and find their friends and their grounding. Now, uh, I'll admit I, I didn't know the routine that this was a crucial time to make friends. And so I was a loner for the majority of the 16 hours. Um, but what's really interesting was that given the opportunity to be in a more like prime spot in front of the camera, they'd, they'd like abandon that group in a heartbeat, you know? They'd, they'd, they'd leave behind the cool group and go and be like, yep, yeah, Baz, I'll go there, sure, we'll, 
we're all good. And, and there were times where I'd see these, these groups kind of do this, and then they'd start like ratting on each other, being like, that guy, was, he was quick, wasn't he? And, and they started to get jealous, and it really didn't seem like they had a really tight group. Whether everyone's like an actor in Baz Luhrmann's eyes or not, nothing really united them. They were more interested about themselves. They were self-focused. And that's kind of what drove them. They wanted their break. And that makes me think, is our default as people just to care about ourselves? Or is there a greater purpose to life? To think outside of ourselves, uh, to be united and, and belong to something greater. Today we're in the book of, of 1 Corinthians again and, and at a church that has a bunch of issues going on, uh, causing the church to be disunited. And one of these issues, what they were they were a church full of, of little churches, of little fractions going on, uh, of their wants being more important than God's. There was in-house fighting, and these followers of Jesus were a mess. You know what? We live in a culture not uh, dissimilar to the one in Corinth. Uh, We're in a culture that is consumed by the self, consumed by individualism. When push comes to shove, my needs are more important than others. So how does the church stay unified? Is the church about my wants and my needs? But then whose needs are more important, mine or yours? What if, what if I like doing things this way and you like doing things another way? Do we even have to be of the same mind? Do we have to, to be on the same page? Couldn't we all just kind of gather around and think what, about what God is like and then kind of form a community around that mystery? Is unity necessary for the church? And what does it mean to be unified? Because we look around and and aren't those churches that are really kind of united and and focused in kind of a bit more cultish than doing good to the world? Well, today Paul's going to address this issue of unity again. and And what he says is that a mature church is one that is a united church. And we need to get to maturity. I think they're taking down the wall of Jericho today, so there might be some noises coming through, um, which will be fun. Uh, but yeah, but so how do we get there? Well, let's jump into the passage again. Uh, remember uh, what's going on in the book. Now, this church, they're going wayward, uh, and this disunity has gotten back to the Apostle Paul. Uh, he planted this church, and so he writes this letter to bring them back into unity bringing them back into what their purpose is, to bring hope to the city. And now Corinth was a major kind of uh, trade city in Greece. It it had a port uh, positioned near it. It was wealthy. Uh, There were heaps of temples around of of different religions in Corinth, different philosophy, wisdom going around, and they had much access to this. But a big problem crept into the church. They had this wrong idea from the culture around them that being a more eloquent or better speaker or leader meant that they were more wise. 
And so the division began to brew. Uh, the church was split into, into different camps. Some saying, I'm going to go follow Apollos because he's an amazing speaker. He's eloquent. And others saying, you know what? No, no, no. I'm going to go follow Paul, the man of God. And Paul challenges their way of thinking. He kicks himself by showing them that the mature Christian is one who knows God gives the growth, not a leader. And for a church that is meant to bring hope to the city, they will be incapable of bringing this hope if they don't know this truth. So read with me sentences 1 to 8. It will come up on the screen. Uh, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? Paul's point here is to tell the Corinthians that all this quarreling and jealousy over leaders and these different divisions just confirmed what he thought when he left them. He says, you guys were so immature that, that I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even feed you with puree. You know, you, you were still on milk, and you're like five years old. You're, you're gossiping at each other, talking behind backs, you're slandering, and, and there's, there's problems left, right, and center. And it's just childish. And when you think about who th- these people are, these, these knowledgeable Corinthians, I, like, that's a pretty embarrassing image. And as he explains, the reason you're not united is because you're people on the flesh. And you'll notice, it will come on the screen, you'll notice it, it comes over and over again. It says, uh, but as people of the flesh, for you are still of the flesh, are you not of the flesh? And what he's trying to get at here is that their behavior isn't at all spiritual. It's human-focused, worldly-focused, their view of leaders and teachers is more conformed to, the, to, to fleshy thoughts. There's, there's nothing different about them in Corinth. They have the same mind of everyone in, in all these different religions in Corinth. They develop this idea that the gospel isn't powerful enough on its own, but that it needed the work of someone who with amazing eloquence. And so in order for them to be united, uh, they need to be mature. And that maturity comes from knowing it isn't the work of of the teacher or the leader to change hearts, but God gives the change. He gives the growth. He brings it back to God. So read with me in sentence five. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. To respect Apollos and Paul is a, is a good thing, but ultimately, as it says in, in sentence 5, they're just servants. They aren't people to, to glorify in. Instead, God is the one who's truly at work. 
when I moved into uh, my house now on Mullen Street uh, with three other guys uh, over three years ago now, um, the owner of the property had planted four new mareas uh, in, in, in our backyard. Uh, they're kind of like a hedge plant, I guess, that they kind of grew up into. And, uh, and so because there were four of us, um, and being guys, we decided we're going to have a competition going on here. Um, we wanted to see whose plant could grow the fastest. And I think uh, the rules were you could do anything to your plant. You just couldn't, like, sabotage anyone else's. Um, and so Josh, uh, Jono, uh, Jacob, and I, uh, we started to tend to our plants. And uh, at that time, I was working for Bunnings. And uh, so I thought, stuff these guys. I'm buying some power feed. And... Uh, Mama Ray is going to whip them all. It's going to grow up strong, and I'm going to be the one who brings home the cookie. That's what's going to happen. So I bought some. I hid it in the laundry, and, uh, and I, I secretly fed it to my guy. And over the weeks and months, uh, we watched and we waited, and my plant wasn't winning. Uh, and I was annoyed. Uh, I didn't want to tell the others of my tactics here. Um, but in the end, I think Jono's was the one that got ahead. And, um, and I was really annoyed at that. And I was like, dang it. Because Jono was doing nothing to his plan. <laughs> at best, he, he, he would pee at night. And that was at best what he would do to water his plan. I got jealous and annoyed of that. It's like, come on. You know, like when, when tending the plants, sure, planning and watering and looking after them is important. But ultimately... It's in God's hands. And this is the point that Paul is trying to say here, that God is the one who gives the growth. It's not about a preacher or a teacher. Uh, To focus on them actually actually shows you don't don't get it. It shows immaturity in removing God from the centrality of his church. Because it's about him. He unites us. The church is about him. And so because it's about him, then you and I, we aren't just individuals, but together, as God says, we are his fellow workers. In fact, he furthered this point by saying the mature Christian is one who knows the church is God's building and that the foundation is Jesus Christ crucified. Have a read with me sentence nine. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is saying uh, that as the church of Corinth is built, it must be built of the same teaching that Paul had laid, about who Jesus is, that what he has done for us in his death and resurrection. And this is, this is key, this is pivotal to a church that could be swayed to and through by teachers who were fancy speakers. They need to know that, that Paul, what Paul had done as the skilled master builder, as he said, was to have the cross of Jesus Christ as as the foundations from which everything flowed. The mature Christian is one who knows that the gospel, it can't be tampered with. 
It can't be replaced by fancy speakers or amazing builders or the newest silver bullet in ministry. It's not in the hands of people, but in the hands of God. And as sentence 9 says, we are God's building. And in order for that building to last, it needs solid and biblical teaching. When I finished high school, uh, I went and did a schoolish trip to Fiji. Uh, and we did this program where we went to uh, a village called Koropita uh, to build uh, a little house, a little hut uh, for the community there in poverty. Uh, none of us, all these you know, 17, 18-year-olds, none of us knew how to build a building, uh, a, a house. And uh, the teacher that came along with us, he had no idea how to build a house. Um, but thankfully, though, we had, we had a foreman there uh, when we arrived to guide us through and tell us what to do. Um, we had so little clue on what to do that eventually the foreman, uh, as we started building, was just kind of like, you know what, guys? Um, we need some dirt for the house. Can you just, like, go down the hill, just wheelbarrow that up a few times? Like, we were that useless that we were, like, the dirt carriers. But when we first initially arrived in the community... Um, full of these little huts scattered around, we came to our spot. And the foundations, the cement foundations, were already set. They'd already been laid. And I don't know about the others, but I was kind of thinking, oh man, like, they've already started without us. Like, as if this building was all about us. Like, I was like, come on. But this was crucial. If we attempted to make the foundations, having no idea what we were doing, it would have been chaos. Like this building would have lasted as long as like a Taylor Swift relationship. Like brief, sorry Tay-Tay, but they are brief and ending. And this is what Paul is getting at. Without Jesus Christ crucified at the core of his church, it will fail. And so a mature church, a church that God wants, is a church that Jesus, where Jesus is at the center of everything. And that center never shifts. You know, we may be tempted to fall into that trap of, of sugarcoating the gospel in order to win people. Because the, the message, we know the message of Jesus is life-giving, but it's also offensive. The gospel says that every single person in the world is in need of help. And we need to respond to it as if we've done something, is, is to, uh, to respond to it is to admit we've done wrong in the world. To respond to the gospel is to admit I've done evil in God's eyes. That we're sinners in need of God's mercy. To come to the mercy he provides. And you know what? Changing the gospel so it's easier for people to hear, you know, it might result in a huge church. But only that teaching, which is founded on the true Jesus, of his death and resurrection, of the need for us to repent to God, will stand the test of fire of God's judgment. Paul says the mature Christian, the mature church knows they are God's building, and need these solid foundations in the gospel. But also, the mature church, the mature united church, 
can take their understanding of that foundation a step further. And we see this in the image of the temple in sentence 16. This image that Paul has been leading up to. And this would have rocked some boats at the time. Have a read with me. Sentence 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This is profound theology. That we collectively are God's temple. We are precious and of great significance in God's eyes. The petty divisions that, that they were having, the Corinthians, should be put to shame. In his description of the temple, he describes that they collectively are the inner sanctum, the holiest place of all, the place where God's spirit dwells. This is unparalleled talk here. And now, think again, Corinth, this, trade, this wealthy trade city, um, idolatry galore, different religions doing different things in different temples. And Paul says, forget that. Do you not know that you are the temple? Humble yourself now and get the weightiness of what I'm trying to say. You are the temple. Forget your little view of what you think your gathering is. You think this is small stuff, but it ain't. They would have known the temple in Jerusalem, the big temple of the inner sanctum, where only the high priest could enter into to dwell with God after much cleansing and rituals. But now Paul says, people All people can experience God now through you. You are now the place where only the high priest could enter for all people. This is your identity. You together are serious business. Your life story changed the very moment when you started to follow Jesus. And you are now part of something Glorious. Do you view the church like this? When you consider this church gathering here and now, do you view it with the weightiness that God does? Or do you just kind of want to get on with your day? Is being united together important for you? Or do you just not care? Because Paul gives a warning for those who would disunify his church. He says in sentence 17, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul gives them clear warning here that the divisions that are going on 
are so far from God's desire for the, his church that he would bring about destruction from anyone who tries to tear it apart. You know, staying united is, is, is really important. And we can kind of see this uh, for, for a lot in the animal kingdom, uh, for animals who would get destroyed if they didn't stay together. If you know about the emperor penguins, uh, you know that they have to deal with, with harsh climates in Antarctica. Uh, now, they may seem like fools kind of stumbling over all the time and making weird noises, but emperor penguins are pretty rad. Uh, thousands of these penguins, during harsh storms, uh, during s- like snowstorms, sub-zero temperatures, will huddle together. They'll just get this big old pile of penguin huddle. It's, they, 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 they get, the closer they get, the more heat that they will share with each other, and so they can survive the storms. You might be thinking, well, that's great for the penguins in the middle, but what about those on the outside? Great question. In order for these penguins to survive, what they do is they maintain a shuffling around. They constantly move around from the center to the outside called edges. If they didn't do this, then one by one from the outside in, they will die. The whole system will collapse Imagine if, put your mind in the mind of a penguin. <laughs> Imagine if there was penguins on the, in, on the inside just thought, you know what, stuff those guys. I'm just going to be comfortable here. Bill, you want to stay here? I want to stay here, Jeff. Great, let's stay here in the middle. And we just, just cruise on with whatever happens. Let's keep our heads down. Their whole system would collapse. In the same way, Paul wants us to be unified or there will be grave consequences. He's not playing around here. If anyone, whether they be a teacher bringing in a different message or a person of the church, messes around with the unity of his building, his temple, of his Holy Spirit, they will be destroyed. So it does make us question, do we participate in slander of each other, gossiping out leaders, and and is this a symptom of not understanding the reality of what we're a part of? Makes us think, have I been immature in my thinking? And do I need to grow up? Could it be that you're you're leaving your leaders out to take the hit of the storm and you're not taking part in God's vision for the hope of the city. Do you bring disunity to city light? Or do you be, bring unity by being active and involved? Or are you just passively being comfortable while all the others doing the work of loving each other? Are you passive to what's going on with God's mission? Let's not kid ourselves. We're part of something big here. We're part of something that God delights, and He chooses that this is His plan A for the means of bringing hope to the world. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the the famous theologian and and speaker, he talks about the church, and he says, you know, in all its imperfections and problems, it is the dearest place on earth to us. The church is, is God's means of bringing about change in the world of being a light in a culture often with darkness, of showing 
what is different about God and the honor he deserves of his holiness and his greatness. And so to drive this point home, Paul gets them to consider where do they really place their value? Do they want to continue as immature Christians with such a small view of what they are part of? Or do they want to know that they are part of something great? Of great value to God. And so he finishes this section with telling them finally, the mature Christian seeking out unity in the church knows that they belong to Christ. Read with me sentence 21. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Paul finishes off here where he started. He says, don't boast in your leaders as if you belong to them. Your identity is in Jesus. You are found in him. You don't belong to culture. You don't belong to your job. You don't belong to this world. You don't belong even to yourself. But you are Christ's, and he will never let you go. You are part of his kingdom for eternity to come. It's amazing. And this mindset, this mindset will unite us because if we belong to Jesus, we belong to his mission. And we'll reorientate our thinking and behaviors for that purpose. Our fellowship with each other will will change uh, if we consider our unity in Jesus. That we belong to him, that he is central instead of what, what, what do I need to get out of church. Bitterness, slander, all these things will seem foolish. Our fellowship and love for each other will transform when we take on board the mature mindset that we exist to bring hope to Sydney, to the world. To tell them that they too can belong to the loving God who bled for them, who died for them, who brought them back to Him, who restored them, who gives them the hope of eternal life to come. In talking about this sort of fellowship, uh, our writer David Mathis, he says this, Rightly did Tolkien call his nine a fellowship of the ring. This is no chummy hobnob with apps and drinks and a game on the tube. It is an all-in, life-or-death collective venture in the face of great evil and overwhelming opposition. True fellowship is less like friends gathered around to watch the Super Bowl and more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears, huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. True fellowship is more the invading troops side by side on the beach of Normandy than in the gleeful revelers in the streets of VE Day. We together as God's temple are to care for and be united around his mission to tell the world of the love of Jesus. But we can't do that unless we unite around him. And he commands us to be a mature church that is around his love. John 13 says, a new command, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples 
if you have love for one another. And so the challenge for us is, do we think our choices in life, how we speak about church, indicate to those who don't feel a Jesus that we are passionate, that we are on board with the purpose of God's mission? And can they see this by the way we love one another? Do we show the world that we value God above all else? Or is right now just about meeting our needs? Being a community that just might help you out, but you fail to do to others? You know, the reason we have membership here at CLI is for the purpose of unity. That we might be a temple of God that puts others before ourselves. And so I'm just going to go through what we've said as members, what we said when we did the membership course that we'd commit to loving each other with. And so the first one is a commitment to a Sunday gathering. How are you tracking with that? I mean, thanks for being here. That's great. But is this time precious for you? As it is in the eyes of God. How can we be united if so many of us are infrequent with being here? Or even just coming quickly before shooting off? We've also said we're going to commit to a missional community, our small group. Again, is your, com- your missional community, your MC, a means of just taking and consuming? Are you contributing to the love, to the unity there of loving each other? And even when you think about it, what do you prioritize over that? Wouldn't it be more bold to say to our boss or friends or family that, sorry, I can't make that because I have my group that I go to, go to that I love? We said we're going to commit to regular serving. Are you just taking and consuming? Or, or do you love others here as Christ loved you? We said that we're going to commit to willingly support.